Well, good morning. Good morning. There we go. It is good seeing you here today. As you keep milling around, we're, as we, people are still coming in, why don't you stand up and greet some folks around you as we begin today. Well, it's good hearing you mill around. If you would find your seat, we'll go ahead and get started today.
Well, it is good seeing you here today, and uh, we are certainly glad that you are here. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we are certainly excited. I know the holidays may bring family and friends into town, and uh, so we certainly welcome you here today. And you'll notice a little place on the very back of your bulletin where you can scan and fill out a visitor card so we can pass along some other information uh, to you as well. And you also notice all the other announcements uh, there as well. Uh, but I am excited to report that uh, our Ecuadorian team should be maybe on the interstate here. There was a little delay in Atlanta this morning, but they were supposed to land in uh, Birmingham. Our uh, Tanzanian team should be in the air somewhere uh, around the world and should be back uh, hitting Atlanta. Yes, they're coming into Atlanta uh, tomorrow about nine o'clock. So pray for them as they continue to make their journey home and then pray for our uh, Guatemalan team of students and adults that leave out this coming this next Saturday uh, to be gone to a, a week in Guatemala. So I just certainly covet your prayers on things that are, are going on. Also this morning with John still in the air sometime somewhere, uh, we could have zoomed him in or something. I don't know. But uh, Danny Corson, uh, 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 no stranger at First Baptist Church, where we're bringing God's word to us today. And I want to invite you to the call of worship. It's a new call of worship. It ends with amen. And so I will know where to stop today. <laughs> so, and thank you all, all for your encouragement from last week <laughs> or discouragement. I don't know. But, uh, but now let's, uh, let's join together. And I love hearing your voices as well. If you will read along with us, there's four slides and it ends in amen. Uh, <laughs> oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him all things to him be glory forever. Amen. Amen. Well, let's join together in musical worship today. Thanks. Good morning. This morning, scripture readings from the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundation of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. This is the word of the Lord. If you will, please stand with us and help us worship this morning.
for the opportunity to gather together, to sing praise to your name, to thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love, your goodness to us. Fathers, we come up on a holiday weekend where we celebrate our freedom. More than our freedom in this country, may we celebrate the freedom that we find in Christ. Our prayer this morning is as we look at this scripture that we would understand the power of the Holy Spirit that works within us, that calls us to share the good news of freedom to all. We pray that you would encourage us. We pray that you would inspire us. We pray that you would give us a sense of urgency to be the witnesses you've called us to be. Father, it's easy to gather with other believers and sing these songs of praise. May we have the courage to go out in the streets of our city and talk about the greatness of our God. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles this morning, if you'll turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 9, as we look together at Matthew, chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. As you're turning there, just let me say it is good, as always, to be with First Baptist Pell City. I appreciate John and his gracious invitation to come. He did have a plan, though, behind this. He said, I'm going to be in Tanzania. I'm going to be out for two weeks. I want my people to miss me. I want them to look forward to my preaching. I want them to be ready for me to come back. So I'm going to schedule Danny Corson. And that way, they are going to be eager to hear me preach. So I appreciate John giving me this invitation. I'm glad to be here with you. Matthew chapter 9, beginning with the verse 35. 
says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is the word of the Lord. I've been privileged to serve in many different roles in ministry over the years. And uh, the second church that I pastored was a little country church called Smyrna Baptist Church in Vienna, Georgia. And when I got there, being a city boy growing up in Birmingham, I didn't know much about the country. I didn't know much about farming. I didn't know much about that way of life. And I learned a lot in the three and a half years that I was there, serving in a church that was made up of farmers and the families of farmers. And being in that church, I learned a lot about the harvest. And one of the things that they taught me first of all, was the faith of the farmers related to the harvest. Because they recognized that the harvest was completely in the hands of the Lord. They said, we can go out and we can prepare the dirt and we can plant the seeds and we can do all the things that we have to do, but we can't make anything grow. And ultimately, we have to depend on the Lord for the sun. We have to depend on the Lord for the rain. We have to depend on the Lord for the growth. Everything from the harvest depends on the Lord. And so they taught me a lot about patience and perseverance, knowing that they could do their part, but they had to trust in the Lord. Another thing they taught me about was the faith when it comes to money. I had never served in a church quite like Smyrna, and it's a lot of churches in the farming community are like this. We literally had a Sunday on the calendar that was called Harvest Sunday. And on Harvest Sunday, we took in 85% of our budget for the year on one Sunday. Because when you're dealing with farmers, what they do is they calculate what they made last year off the crops and what they project to make this year and what their plans are. And they go to the bank and they present those plans to the bank and the bank gives them a check. And so they all come and they tithe right then and there on the whole thing. So we took in 85% of our funds on one Sunday. Now, I'll tell you, that was different than any place I'd ever been. And there was a little bit of debt on the building, so thinking like I normally do, I said, well, we've got to come up with a plan to address this debt. It was around $15,000. And in the first meeting where I brought it up, one of the deacons said, preacher, I got one piece of farm equipment on my farm that cost $250,000. I ain't concerned about $15,000 in debt. He said, we can pay that off no time at all. He said, God will provide and we'll take care of it. So a different type of faith that I learned from them. But then something else I learned from them about the harvest. They were hard workers. And on Wednesday nights, most of them would come to prayer meetings still wearing their work clothes and covered in dirt. They hadn't been home to take a shower yet. They'd come straight from the fields to prayer meeting. And Sunday was their day off. They came to worship and they observed everything that we did at the church Sunday morning, Sunday night. But when harvest season came, there's an open window. And they only have so much time to get the crops in. And so it's all hands on deck for the harvest. 
Everybody drops what they're doing. And they may miss a Sunday morning service and they may miss a Sunday night service depending on the weather conditions and depending on what it takes to bring in that harvest because they know when the window for the harvest is open, it's only a limited time. If they wait too long, the crops go bad. If they wait too long, the bugs come in and destroy it. If they wait too long, it just wilts and withers on the vine and they don't get the harvest that they were hoping for and needing. So when Jesus talks to his disciples about the harvest, it's important for us to consider some of these factors. So that's what we're gonna look at. When Jesus talks about the harvest is plentiful, but the workers or the laborers are few. You've probably heard this passage many times before. But I think it's important that we understand who Jesus is talking to and the application it has for our lives today. So first of all, there's four points in the bulletin if you want to follow along and fill in the blanks. And they're each based on one of the verses. Verse 35 is the first verse. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. So the first blank is all. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. I think it's important for us to recognize that Jesus didn't pick and choose certain areas and say, I'm only going to minister to these people. I'm only going to share the gospel with these people. I'm only going to invite this group into the kingdom of God. He invited everyone everywhere. He went to all cities. He went to all villages. And we must do the same thing. As he went there, he was teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel. If we want to follow the example of Jesus, we call ourselves Christians, we say, I live under the example of Christ. My goal is to be like Christ. What did Christ do? He proclaimed the gospel everywhere he went. Now, the gospel is good news. It's the good news of the kingdom of God. And in a world where we live today, where every time you turn on the TV or the radio, you hear the news, most of it's bad. People want to hear good news. People need to hear good news. And the other thing is this. Even if they hear good news on the news report, it's not good news that's going to save them for eternity. The only good news that can save a person for eternity is the good news of Jesus Christ. They're not going to hear that good news from the news stations. They're not going to hear it from schools. They're not going to hear it from the government. They're going to hear it from the one group that was assigned to deliver the good news of Jesus Christ in the kingdom, and that's the church. That's us. So the bottom line, I'm here to tell you, and make sure you leave here understanding this today. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, God has called you to share the gospel. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be a youth minister. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are, you are called to share the gospel. And that's something we've got to step up and do. It was the gospel that healed every disease and every affliction. Now let me make sure we all understand this. You're called to share the gospel, but God has not called you to go out and heal every disease. God hasn't called you to go out and heal every affliction. He can do that, and he did that back in these times to display his power. But Jesus doesn't want people coming to him simply because they desire to be healed of a physical disease or a mental or emotional situation. He wants them to come to him out of love and trust because he is the Son of God who sacrificed himself for our sins. Coming to Jesus does not mean you will instantly be healed of any disease you have. And I want to make sure you understand that. 
Because there's too many preachers who will stand up and tell you that. This name it and claim it stuff. This, if you put your faith in Jesus, you'll never have a financial problem again in your life. Anybody here experience that? You put your faith in Jesus and your finances just fell in order. You never had a problem since then. You put your faith and trust in Jesus and you've never been sick again a day in your life. There's a Hebrew word for that, baloney. <laughs> That's not how it works. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. Three times he prayed and asked God to take away the thorn in the flesh. And you know what God said to him? My grace is sufficient for you. Now I've shared before, some of you already know, I have chronic migraines. Try not to talk about it too much, but I have chronic migraines. I have a migraine every day of my life. It's not a question of if I'll have one. It's a question of what will the pain level be and how do we control it. Somebody asked me one time, said, Brother Danny, why don't you pray and ask God to heal those migraines? And I said, wow, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> what a wonderful idea. I have prayed more than three times. I've exceeded Paul. And I still have the migraines. Because God's grace is sufficient. He may not heal me of migraines while I'm on this earth. But I know that one day I will be with him in heaven and I will never have pain in my head again. I'll never have the nausea and dizziness and everything else that goes along with it again. Death for the Christian is the ultimate healing. Every sickness, every disease will be healed. So understand that if a person is dealing with situations in their life, whether they're physical illness, whether it's emotional illness, whether it's a mental illness, whatever it is, God and God alone has the power to change that person. He can transform them. No one else can. There's no step program you can go through. There's nothing you can enroll in that's guaranteed to transform you except Jesus. And there's no one beyond his reach. There's no one beyond his limits. I think it's important for us to understand this. Our mission is to go to all places everywhere. I'm excited to be here today when you've got people coming back from Tanzania and people coming back from Ecuador and people getting ready to go to Guatemala. I just came from the Southern Baptist Convention a couple of weeks ago where we sent out 79 new missionaries to places all around the world. And I'm excited to see that. But I want to share with you, you don't have to go to all these places to share the gospel. Because there are people right here in Pell City who need to hear about Jesus Christ. The latest survey results released by Lifeway this week. Some of you, if you follow me on Facebook, you've already seen this article. I'm assuming. If not, you can click on and read it. It's there. But something you need to realize, the latest statistics, 34% of Americans say they never attend church. 34% of Americans say they never attend church. Now, some of you are going to say, but wait a minute, Brother Daniel, we live in the Bible Belt. No, we don't. The Bible Belt's from the past. It doesn't exist anymore. You look at the statistics, I can sit down and go through them with you. Our society has changed. The viewpoints have changed. Generation after generation, we have moved to where we no longer live in a Bible Belt. Going to church is not the socially accepted practice anymore. It's the minority. The fastest growing group of people in our society are the nuns, and that's not in the Catholic Church as N-U-Ns, it's the nuns, none of the above. We have no religious beliefs and we do not practice anything. 34% of the people in Pell City 
do not attend church anywhere. You looking for a mission field? It's right here around us. The people you see at Piggly Wiggly, people you see at Fresh Value, the people you see at Publix, the people you see at CVS or Walgreens, the people you see at Walmart, they're right around you. If you go to school, you go to school with people who've never gone to church. If you work, chances are you work with someone who does not attend church. The exception might be those who work in the church office. <laughs> but other than that, you are around people who do not go to church. On top of 34% saying they never go to church, statistically 38% of men say they never go to church. We've got a problem getting men involved in church. And one of the challenges for us moving forward is we need to encourage men to get involved, to get into a relationship with Jesus Christ, to learn what it means to be a disciple of Christ, and to become the spiritual leaders for their families, their households, and serving in the church. Serving as an associational missionary with 68 churches, you would be shocked the number of churches we have that have no deacons because they don't have any men or they don't have any men who are qualified. So they have no deacons. And one of the biggest issues I'm facing right now, we've got 68 churches, we have eight churches without a pastor. And some of those committees keep calling me going, we need more resumes, we need more resumes. And I say, don't we all? There is a shortage of ministers. You can read about it, not only in Baptist press, but you can read about it in any newspaper nationwide. It's not just Baptist, it's across denominational lines because a few generations ago, we had people answering the call to ministry saying, God is calling me, I want to preach, I want to teach, I want to be a missionary. And that hasn't happened in the past couple of generations. We've had a decline. We've got a lot of pastors now who are retirement age, but they're still preaching into their 70s and 80s because they know that if they step aside, there's no one to come and step into their place. So we've got to call out the call. We've got to encourage young men and young women to answer the call to ministry. And specifically, we've got to call men to answer the call to preach and to be discipled and be the spiritual leaders that God has called them to be. It's not that there aren't enough workers. There's not enough workers answering God's call. That's the difference. Ministry is everywhere even right here in Pell City. But as we minister, our attitude is important. In verse 36, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I will confess to you, there are many times when I read headlines about different groups in the United States and around the world, people who have different lifestyles that do not line up with scripture, and I don't look at them with compassion. I look at them with anger, questioning, frustration, sometimes disgust, but that's not Christ-like. Christ said when he saw the crowds, he looked at them with compassion. When we look at people in the world who aren't living biblical values, it's not home, it's on. I'll stay here. When we look at people in the world who are not living according to Christian values, we've got to look on them with compassion because that's how Jesus looks upon them. 
When we see people who say that they're lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgendered, questioning, when we look at people dealing with gender dysphoria, when we look at people dealing with all these issues that have come up, we have got to look at them with compassion because that's how Jesus looks upon them. They are created in the image of God, they are loved by God, and God desires a relationship with them, and God can transform their lives and bring them into alignment with his word. In fact, he's the only one who can. But as followers of Christ, we've got to look at them with compassion. And too many times I've seen us, especially as Southern Baptist at the Southern Baptist Convention dealing with protesters over the years, I've seen us respond to people with anger and disgust and judgment and pride rather than compassion. If Jesus responds to people with compassion, we must respond to people with compassion. And why does he respond to them with compassion? Because he knows they've been deceived by the father of lies. That's why he looks at them and sees them as harassed and helpless. And when we look at people who are dealing with these issues, when we look at people, whatever their sin may be, whatever the issue that's holding them back, we have to see them as people who have been confused and misguided by Satan. They are helpless and they are harassed and they need a shepherd to guide them. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the benefit of the good shepherd. He is guiding you. And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he has filled you with his Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit enlightens you to know the truth and to understand the truth. They need the same Holy Spirit that you have. But how will they hear without a teacher? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they hear without someone taking the message of God's grace and the kingdom of God to them. And as I've said before, they're not gonna hear it from the news stations, that's not their job. They're not gonna hear it from the school system, that's not their job. They're not gonna hear it from the government, that's not their job. And don't take me wrong, I don't wanna take the government's word on anything right now. Do you really want people who are lost and helpless and confused to put their faith and trust in the government to get the answers they need for life and for eternity? No, there's one group that has been given the job to share the gospel of the kingdom of God and that salvation comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and that's you and me in the church. We're the ones who have been called to share that compassionate message. So the attitude for ministry is compassion. It takes us to the third verse, the assessment for ministry. And that's where Jesus said in verse 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So in the blank in the bulletin, laborers is the word, but notice the word is, is underlined. Why? Because here's the assessment for ministry. Jesus said to his disciples, first of all, who was he talking to? Not total strangers, not to the world in general. He was talking to his disciples, to those who said, we believe in you, to those who were following him, to those who were listening to him. Those are the ones that he gave this message to. And it still applies to those of us who claim to be his followers today. When Jesus was giving this challenge to his disciples, it extends to all believers for all time. He says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. Why do I highlight the word is? It's present tense. Jesus didn't say the harvest will be plentiful. He said the harvest is plentiful. 
Now, I'm sure his disciples at the time were looking around and they're looking at society and they're looking at all the obstacles to ministry and all the reasons why people aren't going to believe with all the false gods and all the emperor worship and all the governments that were worshipped and rulers that were worshipped. And they're looking at it and they're going, what harvest is he talking about? And Jesus said, guys, you're looking through your eyes and you're seeing all the obstacles. You need to look at the world through my eyes. And when you look at the world through my eyes, you're going to see the harvest is plentiful right now. There are people who will respond to the gospel right now. And you've got to act while the opportunity is here. The harvest is plentiful. Did you know, according to statistics, the majority of Christians, the majority of those who are active in church when surveyed say, we know that it is our responsibility to share the gospel. The majority will say in a survey, we pray for opportunities to share the gospel. But then when they're asked the question, how many people did you invite to church in the last six months? You know how many people actually invited somebody? 5%. You know how many people shared the gospel with somebody? 5%. 100% of Christians say we know that we're called to share the gospel and 5% of Christians share the gospel. So here's the awkward moment of the morning where you can squirm in your seat. But here's the question, when's the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? When's the last time you told somebody the good news of Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins, salvation that is offered to them, the hope of eternal life? When is the last time you personally shared Jesus Christ with someone else? Because yes, it's John's responsibility to share the gospel and Tim's responsibility and Mark and Chris and all the church staff and the deacons, but it's the responsibility of every believer, young and old, rich and poor. It doesn't matter. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are called to share the gospel. The reason the church has lost a couple of generations, the reason we don't have men and women stepping up to serve in ministry roles, the reason we don't see it happening is because we have not boldly shared the gospel the way we should have, and the church has gone into a period of decline while the population of the world continues to increase. We're falling behind. One of the biggest challenges that I've seen the past several years at the Southern Baptist Convention and the Alabama Baptist State Convention was more and more people there looked like me. And by that I mean old. A bunch of white-haired, gray-haired, and bald-headed people. Over the last couple of years, I've been excited to see more young people coming in to our state convention meetings and more young people coming in to our Southern Baptist Convention. And that's good. But we've still got that opening. While we've got 20-year-olds coming in and 30-year-olds coming in, we've got a big void between the ages of 40 and 60 of people who are called to ministry and stepping into those roles. And that's why I say we've got churches who are calling and saying, we can't find a pastor. We can't find anybody to fill this role. What are we going to do? And I've had serious discussions lately. It looks like one of the options we're going to have to consider is going back in history to what Methodist and Baptist did early on and have a circuit riding preachers. We're going to have to have preachers that do multiple churches. They pastor two or three congregations. 
and they stagger their schedules or they rotate their services or they rotate the weeks that they have the pastor there. Realistically, that's going to be a short-term answer. We're going to have to have more churches who are willing to merge together with another congregation and they join together and work together and rather than having two locations, they come together in one location simply because we don't have enough people stepping up to answer the call. Now this is a problem that can be fixed and we're given the solution here in Scripture. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now I think you can understand this. Go back to before COVID. Before COVID, you could go to any restaurant, any business, and things were working normally. But since COVID, we have a labor shortage. Anybody here experience that? You go to a restaurant and they're having to shut down early because they don't have enough workers. You see help wanted signs everywhere, but they can't find enough workers. You see, we've got this problem in our society that people want to get paid, but they don't want to work. We got the same thing in the kingdom of God. We want people that want to receive all the benefits of being in the kingdom of God. They want all the gifts of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God, but they don't want to work in the kingdom of God. And Jesus said to his disciples, hey, the laborers are few. And who's he telling this to? His very own disciples. The message to the church today is the same as when Jesus delivered it to the disciples. The laborers are few. We got a lot of people here, but not everyone's willing to work. Did you know that in the average church, only 15 to 20% of the members fill a role teaching, serving on a committee, serving in a meaningful ministry in the church? 15 to 20%. 80% of our members are members in name only and don't actively get involved in a ministry or take on a leadership role. Now I want you to think about this. If only the staff and the deacons and the Sunday school teachers share the gospel, you can expect a certain... Imagine if every person here this week went out and just one time shared the gospel with someone, what do you think the results would be? I want you to think about that. Because I honestly believe every church in this association could have people coming to be saved every week if all of us were serious about sharing the gospel and taking advantage of every opportunity we have to tell people about Jesus. The problem is we want somebody else to do it. We'd rather have the preacher do it. We'd rather have the youth minister do it. We'd rather have the deacon or the Sunday school teacher do it. I remember as a youth, there were some friends that I knew that they were lost and I knew that I needed to share the gospel with them and I didn't have the courage to do it. I didn't have the words to do it. I didn't have the guts to do it. So you know what I did? I went to my youth minister and said, hey, John, I need you to come meet with this friend of mine and share the gospel with him. And you know what John said? John said, tell you what, I'll go with you the first time, I'll share the gospel with him. The next appointment, I'll go with you and you're going to share the gospel. And John took me to sit down with a friend and we met at his house and John shared the gospel with him and prayed with him. And the next friend that I wanted to go to, John did exactly what he said he was going to do. He went along and he sat there and said, Danny, tell him about your experience. And he put me on the spot. And you know what I did? 
I shared the worst gospel presentation you've ever heard in your life. It was pitiful. But you know, God can work through pitiful presentations of the gospel. God can work through pitiful sermons. Jonah walks into the city of Nineveh and says, hey, you just got a few days and God's going to come in judgment. I don't care if you respond or not. And he goes and sits down and sulks. And you know what happened? The whole city repented. God can deal with terrible presentations, but he needs people who are willing to go and open their mouths and speak. Now here's the last step and the most important, the answer for ministry. The answer for ministry is therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray. We're told to pray all the time, aren't we? Pray without ceasing. Whatever it is you need, ask God in prayer. If any of you ask, lacks wisdom, ask of God. You need laborers, ask of God. But here's the warning, and here's why I entitled this sermon, Here Am I, Send Someone Else. Because when you pray earnestly and say, God, we have a shortage of workers in the church. We need somebody to step up. Would you raise up people to fill these roles? I'm telling you, you know what he's going to do? He's going to say, absolutely, I'm going to raise somebody up. And it's you. See, the scripture is actually, Lord, here am I. Send me. When Jesus was praying in the garden, he said, Father, if it could be, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. When we pray, when we pray earnestly, what we are honestly doing is going before God and saying, God, I want your will to be done in my life. It's not what I want. It's what you want. It is surrendering to his purpose and his plan. So when Jesus tells his disciples, the answer is to pray. All he's doing is telling them, guys, when you pray, when you get honest with God and ask him to supply the workers, he's going to supply the workers. But you know how he's going to do it? He's going to say, wake up, it's you. And that's why so many people don't want to pray and ask God to send the workers. Because I promise you, when you pray and say, God, here's a need, Many, many times, he's going to say, I know just the person to fill that role. And it's you. A couple of things to remember. We're told to pray to the Lord of the harvest. It's his harvest. It's not ours. As I read Vacation Bible School reports and see about children who are being saved and people who are coming to the altar and people who are being baptized, it's exciting to see that Eden Westside had this many decisions. The First Baptist Pell City had this many decisions. First Baptist Moody has this many. But you know what? In heaven, there's no record of that because they're coming into the kingdom of God. And we've got to recognize every person that's saved is entering the kingdom of God. It's his harvest. It's not First Baptist harvest. It's not Cropwell's harvest. It's not Mount Pisgah's harvest. It's God's harvest. So he said, pray to the Lord of the harvest because he's the one who draws them in. He's the one who enables them to grow. He's the one who equips them for service. Ask him to send out laborers because it's his harvest. Now let me ask you something. Are you his child? 
Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and surrendered yourself to him? Do you identify as a follower of Christ? Because if so, you have surrendered to the Lord of the harvest and you've already said, Lord, use me in your harvest. And this morning, what I'm encouraging you to do is exactly what the word says. Pray and ask God to send out workers into his harvest. Because you know how we're going to reach the 34% of people in Pell City who do not attend church anywhere? We have to reach out to them. You know how we're going to reach the 38% of men who do not attend church at all? We've got to reach out to them. You know how we're going to reach the 40% of people age 35 and under who don't attend church at all? It's you and me. God's not sending some evangelist or some great powerful person from outside. He's looking at his church right here in Pell City and saying, guys, ladies, I have saved you. I have called you. I have equipped you. I have filled you with my spirit. And I'm telling you, the harvest is there. People are ready to respond. The time is now. You can't put it off. But you know who I'm calling to go and share the gospel? You know who I'm calling to go out and reach those people? It's you. Too many times we say, here am I. Send someone else. I remember the first time as a pastor that I challenged our congregation specifically to do missions overseas. We had done missions in the United States. We had planted a couple of churches up in the Northeast. But we had never done an overseas mission project. And I challenged the church. I said, God's just laid it on my heart. It's time for us to invest in overseas missions. I never saw myself going. And I can promise you my advisor at Sanford University never saw me going either. Dr. Bill Cooley was my advisor. He had been a missionary in Africa before he came to Sanford. And I thought I was called to missions. And I was flunking out in Spanish, which is the easiest language to learn. Dr. Cooley said, Danny, have you ever considered maybe God wants you to serve in an English-speaking area? <laughs> and I said, you know what, Dr. Cooley, you might be right. <laughs> but I encouraged our church to get involved in overseas missions, and we had sent a couple of people on some trips, and then we had a medical and dental team that was going on a trip. And one week before time for the team to go, I get a phone call from one of the ladies in our church who was a nurse. And she said, Brother Danny, we have a problem, and I wanted to see if you could help. And I said, well, what's the problem? She said, one of the members of our evangelism team had to back out of the trip. We need a preacher to go on the trip. Would you go? It would have been real easy to say, send somebody else. But I said, there's only two obstacles. And if these two obstacles can be overcome, I would be glad to go. Obstacle number one is I don't have a passport, and the trip's a week from now. So we're going to have to have a God intervention here. I made a phone call that same day, was able to work things out, and two days later I had my passport. As somebody said in the early service, that was a miracle, and yes, it was. So then it came down to the second thing. I said, everybody else has been fundraising for months to get ready for this. I wasn't anticipating this, and I don't have the money sitting in the bank. So I'm going to have to find a way to pay for the trip. I called the team director and said, I've got my passport. I can go. I've just got to come up with the money. And the team director said, your trip's already paid for. And I said, how did my trip already get paid for when you didn't even know I was going? And he said, God provides. And he did. 
And I ended up going to my first of five trips, five years in a row to Honduras, working there. It would have been so easy to say, Lord, here am I, send someone else. But he called me and I had to respond. This morning, God is calling you. He's telling you, you've got family members, you've got neighbors, you've got friends, you've got co-workers who need to hear the gospel. And he's not calling somebody else to do it. He's not calling your pastor to do it. He's calling you. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And it's time for us as the disciples of Christ, as the laborers of Christ to step up and say, Lord, let us go into your harvest field. We're ready, we're willing, we're able. But will you say that prayer this morning? Would you pray with me? Father, as we come before you this morning, we thank you that you are a God who is concerned about saving everyone. You went to every village and every town and shared the gospel with every person. We thank you that you're a God of compassion. In a world where people have so many problems they're dealing with and there's so much confusion and Satan has spewed out so many lies and generated so much confusion, you look at people with compassion and love. You see us as hopeless, helpless, in need of a shepherd. Make people through your eyes. Father, we thank you that you tell us the harvest is now. There's people ready to respond right now. All we need is workers. And we finally thank you that you tell us the solution is simple. Just pray. And the Lord of the harvest will raise up those workers. We can quote all the statistics we want about the shortage of ministers and the need for workers. But we have a God who is able to meet those needs. And he's telling us, I want to meet those needs through you. I've saved you, I've called you, I've filled you with my spirit. So get to work. Because the harvest is ready to come in right now. Father, if there's someone here today who's never put their faith and trust in you, may today be the day that they understand that they are in need of a savior to save them from their sins, to give them the hope of eternal life, and that's through Jesus Christ. Father, if there's a believer here today who's simply not being obedient and serving as you've called them to serve, may today be the day that they would answer the prayer and get active working in your harvest field. In this time of invitation, give us the courage to respond to your word in obedience. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand together as we sing a hymn of decision. I'll be here at the front to receive you. The altar is open for prayer. If God is calling you to respond, to put your faith and trust in him, to come and pray, to be the servant he's called you to be, the witness he's called you to be, would you come as we stand, as we sing?
Amen. That's a great song to be on our lips as we leave. I don't know about you, but I've been at different churches and our travels and sabbaticals, and I've been in places where in the parking lot it says, you are now entering into the mission field. And I hope that can be our mindset. Thank you, Brother Danny, uh, for sharing. What a powerful message. I'm wearing closed-toed shoes next time you preach because you've jumped up and down all over mine, but it's a reality. Uh, last Thursday morning at our men's prayer time, I'll put a plug into that at 6.30 in the sanctuary, uh, they knew we were going to Six Flags, so I was there and then going to get on a bus, and one of the men prayed that for the students as they were going into the mission field of Six Flags, and I shared that with our students. It's like, wow, that's a good reminder. So no matter where we're going, you're standing in a line sweating and your shoes are melting into the pavement at Six Flags on a heat advisory day. You just never know the opportunities you may have to share. The same way with your co-workers. You're going to have family, if they're like mine, they don't all know Jesus, that may be convening at your place for the fourth. And what an opportunity just to share. We are entering the mission field every day. And let's be mindful of that. Amen. Well, let's uh, close with our benediction. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Y'all have a great Fourth of July. Be safe. I love you guys. We'll see you next time. Thank you.